In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, now and ever, and to the age of all ages, Amen. My talk today uh, is on transformation, and it focuses on what is transformation uh, from a Christian Orthodox perspective, what it means, what have the fathers uh, said about it, what is transformation from a biblical perspective, the teachings of St. Paul uh, and, and the evangelist. And also, it, uh, so it goes into a specific sermon or a specific uh, writing of St. John Chrysostom. Uh, and uh, so I came across this very nice uh, summary of, of his writings on transformation, and I wanted to share with you a little bit of that. So the first thing we spoke about, I could not find the talk on uh, the Holy Spirit makes us bold. I honestly, you saw me, I was, I was in distress not finding it. Uh, and I, I searched everywhere. Now I found it now. I found it now. Uh, but then when I needed to do something to fill in until Abuna comes, I could not find except the talk on the commandments. So when Abuna is saying, this is the work of, of the Spirit, I feel that is uh, so true, very true, that there is a work of the Holy Spirit who is our teacher, who is reminding us of the word of Christ, and he's the one orchestrating what we are supposed to talk about today. So first we spoke about where do you stand, where are you from, where do you stand from the commandment of God? And we spoke about the connection of that to righteousness in the characters or in the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth who were righteous in the eyes of God. Because they were walking in, they, they were living out the commandment of God. And we said the first book, Genesis, the commandment is given, and, the, and then the commandment is written by the fingers of God, by the fingers of God. And then in Revelation, the last book, the commandment, or, or the way you've kept the commandment, which is the story between Genesis and Revelation, is becoming to uh, a question at the end. It's coming to some sort of accountability. How did you live between the laying down of the commandment, the giving of the commandment, and now the consummation of everything? That's the story in between. And now we're, and, and Abuna then spoke about discipline. And um, I know that Abuna said, we're not talking about salvation in terms of running. We're talking about the reward. And, and in, in my, my understanding, when Abuna said that, everything ultimately connects us to salvation, right? But, but this is talking about how do I run that race and what type of reward uh, will be given depends on how I run the race. Even though um, all those who believe and are baptized and live the sacramental life of the church and their faith shows through their, their deeds and actions will and, and trust in, in Christ and what he has done for us will, be, will inherit the kingdom of God. And yet we know very well that the teachings of the church fathers, according to what St. Paul has written, one star differs from another in its brightness. Because those who have known God more are going to be at a, at a place or status in heaven that differs from those who have not struggled as much, have not disciplined as much. But ultimately, everything comes to this point transformation i have uh, the, the, in the gospel of saint john the lord jesus christ said i have chosen you out of the world i have chosen you out of the world so that means we've been called out of this world in order to be, to become citizens of another world the kingdom of god that is and that kingdom begins now. When they asked, you know, the Lord Jesus, where is that kingdom? When is that kingdom coming? He said, the kingdom is here. The kingdom of, of heaven is within you. And it starts in this life, continues after we leave this world, and will reach its consummation in the second coming of our Savior. But in order to dwell in that kingdom, to be its citizens, we must be transformed. There's not an option. Unless we are transformed, there is no kingdom. 
as you'll understand what we will say about transformation. Be not conformed to this world. This is the key verse for uh, the talk on transformation. Romans 12, 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's, that's the Romans 12, 2. So these words from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans help introduce this um, teaching on spiritual transformation. What does it mean to be transformed? So first, I'm going to talk about the theological meaning of transformation in the Orthodox Church. What does the Orthodox Church understand transformation to be? And is transformation the same as change? Or is change and transformation not really interchangeable? And what is change and what is transformation? And then I'm going to uh, bring in from the commentary of the Holy Father, specifically St. John Chrysostom, concerning St. Paul's teachings on transformation. And at the end, I will speak about practical suggestions concerning the way of transformation, and I'll focus on watchfulness, prayer, and asceticism. Watchfulness, prayer, and asceticism. So we'll answer the question, what is transformation from, uh, from uh, the, you know, the Orthodox, Coptic Orthodox perspective? Uh, what have the Holy Fathers said about this transformation not conforming to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And then we'll close with practical aspects of how to be transformed. How does this transformation happen? With a focus on our human response of watchfulness, um, of prayer, and of asceticism. Okay, and then maybe just as I close, I will then ask, how do we measure transformation? How do you know that someone is being transformed? Really, the someone is you. How do you know you're being transformed? So, transformation points to the purpose of our life. What is, what is the purpose of our life? If someone asked you, said, like, as a Christian, as an Orthodox Christian, what is the purpose of one's life? What would you say? To live Christ-like. To live Absolutely. It has to do with something called in God's image, in the likeness of God. Because that's how we were initially designed. God created Adam and Eve and he created humanity or humans. He created them in God's image according to his likeness. And when Adam and Eve fell, we always go back to that story because everything is explained at that point. When Adam and Eve fell, they began to, as St. Athanasius say, they began to spiral into death and non-existence because they were taken from non-existence. They were created from nothing. And from nothing, God took the dirt, which is from nothing, and he breathed into that dirt and Adam became a living, a living being. And in that breath, he gave Adam to be a rational being. He gave him a rational soul. That is the image, what the fathers call the image of God. As God is rational, so he created humans deliberately, separately from all the other species to be rational in the rational of God. Rational soul. And even St. Cyril goes a little bit further. St. Cyril of Alexandria, the pillar of faith. And he is one of the, the fathers who actually says, in the breath, God gave a rational soul that is united with the Holy Spirit that he gave also the Holy Spirit. But when Adam and Eve fell by not keeping the commandment and separated from God, why, what is this separation? It is separation from Christ. It is separation from the Holy Spirit. It's separation from the Father. It's separation from God. So what happened to Adam and Eve? They began to spiral into, back into what they came from, which is nothingness. And they began to lose the image. They began the process of losing that image. I mean, you tell me, is it rational to kill your own brother? Where is the rationale in that? So we began to lose the rationality. 
Today, look at the world today and listen to the words of St. Paul who says, near the end of times, there will come, there will come a time where people will, will want teachers who will speak to them what they want to hear. They call them people with itchy ears. And people live a life at times that actually reflects lack of rationality. So, in that form of dying, was man, that is man and woman, was man becoming more in the likeness of God or less? Less. Less. And the image began to be corrupted. And if left like this, St. Athanasius said, if left like this, Adam and Eve or humanity would have gone into nothingness from where they were taken. We, there would be no existence. So the image kept on being effaced bit by bit, bit by bit. They never really lost the image completely, but it began to be effaced to the point where he who created them first had to come again to recreate them again or create them again, to bring them back to what God, to what he, God, wanted them to be in the first place. Transformation, it's about becoming Christ-like. Now, you may hear some of the, the, the terminology used in Eastern Orthodox churches, which as Coptic, we're not used to. Uh, probably some of you heard of the terminology of theosis or deification and divinization. And these are terminologies that are not familiar to the Coptic Orthodox people because they never developed specifically as words like that within the Coptic Orthodox Church. But what do we know? We speak about sanctification, becoming sanctified, becoming holy like He is holy. Well, what does that mean? We become Christ-like. So we're being transformed day by day through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in us because of Christ who dwells within us through his Holy Spirit, we become more and more transformed into the likeness of God. That purpose is our purpose. We live every day to become less the old person and more the new person who is born in us in baptism in the likeness of Christ. In other words, it's what they call an ascent towards God. We become godly being. I'm sure you've heard that the monks are called angels on earth why are they called angels of, on earth because they've entered into a life that is quite in a sense but i want to ask you did did the lord jesus christ specifically have a sermon specific for monks because sometimes we say this oh monks can do that but the lord find me a passage that specifically says this is the life of the monk Christ spoke about the life of his followers. Who is exemplifying that? The monks. They're living the purest form. But that purest form can also be lived by all of us because there is no such thing as monks and laity. There is, in the commandment of God, the life of his disciples. So when people say, oh, those are monks, they can do it. That reflects a misunderstanding of the calling to which all of us were called. Not the monks, just the monks, they live that example for us. So it's an ascent towards God. In the likeness of Christ. Now, let me take a, a, a step back a little bit about salvation. What do you think uh, the Western, Western Christianity, and like Abuna, I'm not trying to bash anyone. We could be misunderstood as doing that, but we're not. We're not. We're just showing the difference between the authentic and those things that changed over time. We have to understand the history. There is authenticity of Christianity, an authentic church, and there are changes. So the Western Christianity, specifically if we look into pro Protestantism, Salvation means simply changing God's attitude towards you so that you can go to heaven. So when God, 
the Father looks at you and sees Jesus in you, in the righteousness of Christ, his attitude changes. That's why in Protestantism there is something called salvation in a moment. Because how long does it take for God to change his attitude? Does it take time? But in Orthodox theology or the Orthodox teachings of salvation, no, it's different. Salvation is more than just the pardon of sins and transgressions. Because if it was just the pardon of sins and transgressions, couldn't God have just simply said to Adam and Eve, I forgive you? I forgive you. But it's not just the pardon of sins and transgression. It is more than being justified or acquitted for offenses committed against God. According to the Orthodox teaching of salvation, it certainly includes forgiveness and justification, by, but, it is, it, but is by no means limited to that. The fathers of the church, they say salvation is the acquisition of the grace of the Holy Spirit. So God has come, has taken our nature to himself, and he sanctified it. He made the human nature holy. He made it attached to him again, so that in Christ, through Christ, we too can become attached to God. He took what is ours and gave us what is his. But the question is, how do we get that? How do we receive in Christ that which Christ has done? So the fathers of the church said salvation is the acquisition of grace, of the grace of the Holy Spirit. To be saved is to be sanctified and to participate in the life of God. To go back to that union again that we had initially when we were created with God. Adam and Eve in and of themselves, they're not eternal. You know that? They're not eternal. They're actually like any creature. They could live and die. But what made them eternal? They were eternal because of the contingency, because of the dependence on the union with God who is life. As soon as they separated from life, they began to be very temporal. Eventually, if the incarnation would not have happened, St. Athanasius said, we would have stopped to exist. So our existence, huh? lest anyone says, I exist, huh? Our existence is dependent on he who is. We are not. I can say I am. No. The only one who can say I am is who? Is God. And in Jesus, when he came in the Gospel of St. John, he said, I am. Because the only one who is, is God. We only exist dependent on God. Now, a few things become clear in our minds um, when we speak about, do I really need to pray? Do I really need to connect with God? Do I really need to repent? Do I really need to come to Eucharist? Our life is dependent on life. Our life, small l, is actually dependent on the real eternal life of God, capital L. So salvation in the Orthodox concept is to participate in the life of God. The, uh, another simple word is to know God. You know, it was said about Adam, Adam knew Eve and she gave birth, she, gave, she became pregnant. So right away you know that the verb to know, usually used in the Bible, does not mean the mental uh, you know, knowledge or of someone's existence. To know means to actively participate intimately in the life of dot dot dot. So, to be saved is to be sanctified and to participate in the life of God, to become united again with God. This is what the priest in the Orthodox Church, in the, uh, the, uh, the silent prayer before communion, when the, deacons, when the deacons pray, the deacon prays the Amin, Amin, Amin at the end, listen to what Abuna prays inaudibly. Says what? Author of life. You see, author of life. Who is he talking to? Author of life, God. Author. He's the one who wrote life. Author of life and king of the ages. Logos of God the Father, our Lord, God, and Savior, Jesus Christ. The true bread, 
which came down from heaven, the giver of life to those who partake of him. Not those who partake of it. Those who partake of him, he is life. Make us worthy without falling into condemnation to partake of your holy body and your precious blood. May our partaking of your holy mysteries make us one with you unto the end. And bless us, you are the Son of God, yours is the glory with him and the Holy Spirit, the giver of life forever. Amen. So when we are about to come to the Eucharist and take communion, what is going on? We are becoming one with him, united in other words. In Arabic we say, Al-Ittihad, one with him, united to him. So it's not just about God's changing attitude towards us. It is about a life where St. Paul says, work out your salvation every day. Every day is a transformation from one image to the other to the, until we reach the image of God. How long will this take us? Eternity. That's why we keep on being transformed. And when we enter into eternity, there is eternity there to continue what? in the participation in the life of God, who is eternal, requires eternity. It is being united with God ever more fully through His grace. As we participate even more fully in God's life through His grace, we become ever more in His image, in His likeness. We look like Him. We begin to look like Him. So, with Christ's incarnation, with His death and resurrection, He redeemed human nature. And he opened this path of reconnecting and reuniting back to God and coming back into this likeness and into his image and into his likeness. When you think about it, this is the objective dimension of our salvation. You, you're, in the Holy Week, we say on Good Friday, Thursday night and Good Friday, we say in Thok Tetigom, the full one says what? For you... It says, Thine is the power, the, the glory, the honor. And then we say, He has become our salvation. Not He is giving us salvation. He is our salvation. It's like saying, um, similar in, in, in analogy, oxygen is our life. You see that? He has become our salvation. So each one of us is called to this life of the like of likeness of God and the image of God. And we live that first through in baptism, the seed is, is laid. The image of Christ is in us, is given, is born. That's why it's called born again. We're born again in the image of Christ. And then through the life of repentance and the life of virtue and this entire life here on earth, we grow and we complete our salvation. I come to the point that Abuna spoke about today. Actually, we, we actually have very a lot of common verses. St. Paul said, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed to, by the renewal of your mind. So the question is, so how do we get transformed? If you read in chapter 12 in Romans a little bit earlier than this verse, it begins by telling us the precondition of transformation. The things that have to happen first so that transformation can happen. St. Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Do you remember this from Abuna's talk? I, I, that, I, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So what does St. John tell us? I want to read to you what St. John says about this part. He said, how is the body to become a sacrifice? How does the body, how can the body become a sacrifice? As Abuna said, usually sacrifice is something you kill. Yeah, well, you have to do the same thing. But in this killing, something comes alive. That's why you become a living sacrifice. A sacrifice once killed is dead. But every day, there is a certain killing that happens in my body and I continue on. So how, St. John says, how is the body to become a sacrifice? Let the eye look on no evil thing 
and it has become a sacrifice. Let your tongue speak nothing filthy, and it has become an offering. Let your hand do no lawless deeds, and it has become a whole burnt offering. But this is not enough. We must have good works also. Let the hand give alms, the mouth bless those who oppose one, the hearing find solace in divine teachings. For sacrifice allows no unclean things. Sacrifice is a first fruit of other actions. Let us then from our hands, our feet, our mouths, and all our other members yield a first fruit to God. So pretty much St. John Chrysostom is saying, you see how in the Old Testament there was animal sacrifices? They were dead after they were sacrificed. But for us, not so. The sacrifice for when we put to death our members, then we shall become alive. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. St. Paul says, Put to death, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. So, we are to present ourselves, in order to be transformed, we have to present ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. means something must be put to die every day in our life. This is the reality. Something must be put to death, offered to God every day in our life. Our old man, this way, our man of sin, dies and our new man lives. We put to death our sinful passions. Another translation, another meaning of passions is uncontrolled desires. So to love one's children, as Hanan was asking, is a good desire. But when that desire becomes uncontrolled, it becomes a passion. So I don't have to ask God about this. I can ask Hanan's husband. If Hanan loves the children more than you, does this become sinful? And the, the husband says, of course. The same thing about God. Uncontrolled desire becomes what? Becomes the passions. Becomes something that was given to be good, but because of the old person in me, it turned to be uncontrolled. So we put to death our sinful passions so that Christ can live in us. We die to ourselves so that we can be reborn in Christ. And our death and rebirth are first marked in baptism. When, according to St. Paul, we die with Christ and are resurrected with him, a new creation. So baptism, in baptism, we receive the grace of the Holy Spirit within us, united with, with our souls as Adam and Eve had it with themselves before they fell, before the fall. And this is the beginning of our salvation. And it's the beginning of our sanctification. And it is the beginning of our transformation. But it's, the, it's only the beginning. It's only the beginning. We are, continually, we, are, we are continually to put to death the remnants of the old man. You say, wasn't I born again in baptism? Why do I still have some, this inclination to sin? Because you are given the free choice between an old remnant and the new person, the new nature of Christ. And you have to make that choice. We don't believe in spells and magic wands in the church. You know, go pray this prayer and you'll be fine. No, it's, it's how do you go and pray this prayer? Is, is, that's why I said earlier, the free response the free response that we offer. So this beginning of the life of sanctification requires our will, our free will, and to continually, freely put this old remnants or the remnants of the old man to death in order to be continually transformed into the likeness of Christ. That's why St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.31, I die daily. What did he mean by I die daily? Means every day I sacrifice my old remnant so that Christ can live in me. What sacrifices are we to offer? 
our egos, our pride. And I think Abuna mentioned this. He said, he's not asking you like St. Moses, the strong, wasn't strong because he beat other people. He was strong because he, hypo what? Hypopiazo. I like that name. Hypopiazo. Hypopiazo. Because he, he beats till himself turned blue. Right, Abuna, that was what you're saying. Right? It's the sacrifice of our egos. If you want to wonder, you say, so what do I need to sacrifice? Say, listen, don't look far. Don't look far at all. Because if you look far, you won't actually sacrifice what needs to be sacrificed. What needs to be sacrificed is my ego. Is the way I pompously think of myself. And no one knows. I know it. It's the way I, I just really like me. And if anyone comes close to that me, I will destroy them. But I'll do it in a nice way so that they don't think that I'm bad because that's also affecting my ego. So I'm very smart and slick in the things I say and do. But the ego is what needs to be sacrificed daily. Our earthly attachments and our passions, but these passions serve the ego. The sacrifice of my time and energy for my fellow human beings. That's why when Christ said, what is, what, what is the greatest commandment? He said, two, love the Lord your God from all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. If you can love your neighbor as yourself, there is no more I, there is we. And I'm not talking about borders, healthy, bo bo healthy you know, uh, uh, boundaries. I'm not speaking of these things. But there is ways of putting healthy boundaries with true humility. And there's a way of putting healthy boundaries with a very bad ego. And call it healthy boundaries. So as we allow Christ to put our egos to death, our fleshly selves are consumed on the altar of love. And the sacrifice rises like incense to God. So as this occurs, we're actually being recreated by Christ into the new beings. Spiritual beings, heavenly beings, entirely living a new way of seeing reality, different from that of the lovers of the world. That's why the precondition is to offer the sacrifice of self to kill those passions which serve the self every day, then we're not going to be conformed to the world. You see, that's the precondition. So then we will not be conformed to the world, but we won't be conformed to the world, and we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds. I want you to know, and I think you know, I don't need, I don't, don't need to preach on this, the sacrifice of ego is painful. It's very painful. It's almost like every day we try to do the sacrifice and then we take 10 steps back. It's so painful. Our old man or the man of sin does not want to die. Does not want to die. Doesn't want to go on the altar of sacrifice. So, the pain of the sacrifice is powerfully expressed in the life of the saints. Who of the saints you think about when we think about the sacrifice of ego or the sacrifice of self? Who comes to your mind? John the Baptist, inter-testamental uh, inter saints between the two testament. Yeah, even his own disciples uh, we're used to test his ego. He says, look, the person you baptized, you baptized. The key word is you. No, look, now he's gathering all these other people and he's baptizing them. And the, the evangelist says, even though Jesus himself was not baptizing anyone. But St. John says what? He must increase and I must decrease. Who else comes to mind when you think of the saints who have really crucified the self. St. Paul. Paul, in what way? 
yeah, it's not I who lives anymore. That's it. It is Christ who lives in me. And it was painful for St. Paul to do this all the time, but he did it. At one point, he did not see eye to eye with St. Barnabas. Things were going well, they were serving together, and all of a sudden, they have a big, huge division between St. Barnabas and St. Paul because of our first Pope, St. Mark. St. Paul wanted one way, St. Barnabas wanted another way. And the book of Acts says it was a serious division, a serious issue, conflict, to the point that they actually parted. And then St. Paul continues to be transformed. Even though this is an organizational matter, I'm not going into his intentions, but then later on says what? Send me Mark, for he is useful for me. He's useful for me. When he saw that St. Mark was serious, he says, send him over. Everyone who is on their way to the kingdom of God gets transformed and changed. So when life is tough on you, when things are getting really hard, do not look necessarily as would be our first instinct to put away the burden. I think this is what Abuna was, uh, was also speaking about. Because that burden is there not so that you can run away from it. It is there for something else and most likely it is about you. It is about you. It's something is heavily being pressed on you because there is an ego that needs to be sacrificed. I want life to be easy too. I want things to be good too. I want no diseases. I don't want any financial issues. I don't want any problems in my family and my church. And I don't want these things. I don't want them. But they come. Why do they come? Well, the world brings them. Okay, well, what's the point of God allowing these to come? Why, in other words, you can ask the question, why did Christ carry the cross? Because in carrying the cross, there was a transformation for us to happen. For us. And that's why he said, if you want to be my disciple, go let go of your egos. He says, Go sell all that you have. But you can change all this to ego. And then carry your cross and come after me. Become my disciple. The sacrifice that is required of us in order to be united with the suffering Christ is not to look for quick fixes to our problems, but to first pray and ask God to open our eyes. What is your purpose? problem what what is the purpose god that for which you've sent me that problem or that issue there needs to be a talk to to him with him first what is what is going on and if i if this points me to the sacrifice of the ego then we are called again at this point to the life of transformation let me move on to not conformity, but transformation. So first comes the sacrifice. I hope that's clear. And the, the, the offering of my ego and my passions that serve that ego. Then comes the transformation. And the understanding of burdens and problems that come into our way. Um, then it follows that we will not be conformed to this world. What is meant by the world? So there are several meanings of the word world in, in Holy Scripture, in the Bible. It can mean the material universe or the inhabited cosmos like the world. In its negative connotation, it can also mean those who are opposed to God. And according to some of the Holy Fathers, it can refer to the passions or the attachment to the things of the senses. You say the person is sensual, is worldly. Uh, St. Isaac the Syrian writes, The world is the general name for all the passions. When we call the passions by a common name, we call them the world. So the passions are the following. You can write those if you like. Love of riches. Desire for possessions. 
bodily pleasure from which comes sexual passion, love of honor, which gives rise to envy, lust of pow for power, arrogance, and pride of position, the craving to adorn oneself with luxurious clothes and vain ornaments, the itch for human glory, which is the source of anger, resentment, and physical fear. So, I'm going to say them again, and then I want you to ask yourself, which one or two or three of those, let's say, which ones of these passions are still alive in me? So, love of riches, desire for possessions, bodily pleasure from which comes sexual passion, love of honor which gives rise to envy, lust for power, arrogance, and pride of position. The craving to adorn oneself with luxurious clothes and vain ornaments. The itch for human glory, which is a source for anger, resentment, and physical fear. Which of these do I still conform to? If I don't know Christ, if I don't know what he has done for me, I'll be like the world, conforming to these things. But the verse says, be not conformed to these to the world, to these passions. And the fathers say that all of us have our own favorite passions. We have our first favorite and our second favorite, etc. So be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. St. John said, St. John Chrysostom, he said, there is a different roots, there's different roots for the words conform and transform. In the English translation, the roots are the same, but in the Greek, they're different. The word to conform the Greek meaning of it comes from the word schema. And schema means what? Schema means an external mask or appearance. Not something fixed, but something substantial that passes away. You can change the word conform to the word fashion. Fashion. So the fashion of this world passes away. The fashion, the, 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 to conform to this world, the fashion of this world passes away. But when he said, be not fashioned according to this world, he chooses the word fashion in order to indicate that anything that you imitate in this world is temporary. It's a fashion. It's hot today, and it won't be so hot the next day. It's a fashion. So if it's cool for people to drive this car, they're going to drive it until... A few years and it's not going to be something you want to drive. I mean, have you looked at the Mercedes uh, made in the 80s? You know, they're not your best cars to drive. What fashion? It just pops up and dies. So St. Paul is saying, do not be not fashioned. Do not keep changing like a chameleon. Do not be changing according to this world. But when he speaks about transformation, he uses the word in Greek, metamorphosis. Metamorphosis, this means lasting and enduring. So when a worm undergoes metamorphosis, it becomes a butterfly, never comes back to anything else. So do not be fashioned to the likeness of this world, it's fleeting. But be, go through metamorphosis. Be changed from within. And here is where transformation and change differ. Change is about fashion. Change is the outer appearance. Say, you know what? I'm going to work on changing my temper. I'm going to be working on changing my temper. And you keep bottling things in. And then, there was no transformation. There was only a change. All transformations include change. But not all change is a transformation. Because a transformation is something at the core. It's a mindset change. That's why he says, do not be conformed, but be transformed by 
the renewal of your mind. Let me just close with a story uh, that Stephen Covey said in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, about mindset change. Uh, and I like this story, so I'll keep repeating it because it's beautiful. He said, uh, one day, this is a true story. He went, he got into the subway, and uh, he was sitting uh, in the subway, and then it's the subway car stopped at one station, and a guy came in with three kids, three little kids. And, and he sat down, closed his eyes, and the kids were very rowdy, you know, running here and there, snatching things from people, uh, crying and pushing, and like uh, abnormally you know, undisciplined. And Stephen Covey said, I've got to tell this guy something. This is unbelievable. How can he allow his kids to do that? And he is sleeping, closing his eyes, allowing all this, this mess to happen. And he had this mindset about this guy. This guy is to be judged. So he went up to him and said, Sir, I, I, I don't mean to be, you know, rude or anything, but don't you think you should control your kids a little bit? And the guy said, yes, I think I should. I think I, I ought to do that. I'm so sorry. It's just um, my wife died this morning. And we just came from her funeral. And uh, the kids are just having a hard time taking all this in. And I am dead tired. Stephen Covey said there was a mind shift. I no longer looked at these kids as disruptive anymore. I began to look at them as victims poor kids they they sustain the death of their own mother and poor guy who's going to live this life now and, and and with those three kids he said i i had a mind set or a mind shift same situation but the way he looked at it changed he calls this a paradigm shift so we're asked to to shift to change our minds must be renewed. We look at a sinner as someone who needs God's mercy, not our judgment. And, and, and we come and we see people and we see their behavior and they've done something that really hurt us, really hurt us. But with a mind shift, with a renewed mind, we see them like us, sinners. They did this against me, but I did this against other people. You know what? We're not that different. And so a Christian with a renewed mind can forgive his or her enemies. But if you try and push the change and force the change to happen, it's not going to happen. It's going to appear like they forgave, but they didn't forgive anybody because their mind has not changed. As promised, this transformation, as I said, the renewal of the mind happens. How? I said through three things. Watchfulness, prayer, and aestheticism. Probably we can take another talk on this, but I will say it briefly. He said, St. Paul said, you know, be transformed, renew your mind, but what does renewal of the mind mean? There's a, a, a Greek word that we use to mean prostration, which is metania, metania or metanos, which is the change of the mind. It's a life of repentance. When I am careful to live a life of repentance, my mind is occupied with this change over here, right here. And I don't despair, even though I'm trying to live this transformation, but I fall, I get up again. St. John Chrysostom says, since it is likely that being men, they would sin every day, St. Paul consoles his hearers by saying, renew yourselves from day to day. Be renewed by the, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In other words, you can say, St. John Chrysostom said, you can say that St. Paul is saying, be transformed by repentance by living a changed life. This is what we do with houses. We keep constantly repairing them. These are the words of St. John, by the way. We keep constantly repairing them as they were old. You should do the same thing to yourself. Have you sinned today? Have you made your soul old 
Do not despair, do not despond, but renew your soul by repentance and tears and confession and by doing good things and never cease doing this. Why do we need a renewed mind? Because our mind after the fall has become sick. Our mind has become sick. It has become dark. Call it the darkness of the noose. The darkness of the mind. And St. Athanasius refers to this. He said, after Adam and Eve fell, people began to invent sin. Invent sin. Like killing, okay. But to begin to invent sin as the time of Sodom and Gomorrah, as the time of the flood, people began to invent worse sins than simply eating from a fruit hanging on a tree. The sin was fruit hanging on a tree. To killing a brother, to violence, to sexual immorality, to you name it. Because the mind became dark. And we cannot see things as God see them, but we see things, unfortunately, through the filter of our passions. If you see the person who wronged you through the filter of your ego, you will always want them to say sorry to you. And you will always want them to pay because it's through the filter of your ego. But if you renew your mind and get out of this darkness and see them through the compassionate eye of a savior, you will see them as yourself in need of forgiveness. That's why Christ has no problem saying, love your enemies. Because he's saying, if you want to love your enemies, if you want to see the world yellow, wear yellow lenses. If you want to see the world dark, wear dark lenses. It just all depends on what you put. And that's why he says, renew your mind. Your filters of your, that are ego-dependent are causing you so much un needed suffering this is unneeded suffering when do we begin to see everything bit by bit but everything through God's eyes that's the transformation how do we do this through watchfulness the practice of watchfulness we must at all times watch over our thoughts so so that so as to reject to cut off sinful and impassionate thoughts. It's like you're, you're very, very awake. Every single thought that comes to your mind, you train yourself. If it's bad, it doesn't go. It push, you push it away. If it's good, it stays. But in order to stay, in order to do that, you have to remain watchfulness all the time. I remember Abuna Bulis George, once he spoke about watchfulness in one of his sermons in our church and he said watchfulness is about being precise and careful over everything all the times at any point in time these thoughts that come they lead to passionate feelings if you allow a certain thought to come they can lead to these passions passion or impassioned feelings and the feelings will fuel more evil thoughts. Soon you get caught in passion and the passion becomes habitual. You're always seeing the problem this way. You're always seeing people this way. It becomes habitual. It becomes second nature to you to the point when someone wants to correct you, you see them wrong. Because you can only see through the habit that you have formed. That's why we must cut off the sickness where it starts, the thoughts. So, for example, when you have a resentful or judgmental thought against your neighbor, or against our neighbor, let's say, we must recognize that, inter that entertaining this thought will put an enmity with God. So we refuse to entertain the thought. We just let it go. And if it comes back again an hour later, or even as often happens a few minutes later, we again cut it off. Now, someone is going to put their hand and say, this is difficult. How can we do this? And no one said this is going to be easy. That's the whole point. What does sacrifice mean? It means it's painful, but it's a must. That's, that is the transformed life of a Christian. If again, I go back to Ipo 
Piazzo. I really like the word. Ipopiazzo means to beat to the point that, uh, you know, whatever you're beating turns to blue. You pin it down and you beat it. This is what it means. It means it's tough. It's, it does require a struggle. Yes. But so did what the saints lived was a struggle. That's why they're saints and we're called to the same life, same saintly life. No one said it's going to be easy. When, when Jesus was asked, he said, carry the cross. And if we're looking for an easy way to Christianity or an easy way to be transformed or to change, we always desire the change, but we don't do the work required. You know, everyone wants to pass their exam, but no one really wants to study. It's not going to happen. Our human response, it's not void of God's grace. God will help us. I'm not struggling by myself. God will grant the grace. There needs to be a human effort. An effort, could, it will be painful because it is sacrifice. In the Orthodox Church, we have a special means of cutting off our thoughts. And some of you may have heard of it, the Jesus Prayer. So you can't always keep your thoughts, you know, keep watchful over your thoughts. Keep watchful over your thoughts by prayer. The Jesus Prayer occupies the mind. The short prayers, you know, the, what they call the arrow-like prayers, which are short prayers that can fill your whole day, praying before entering into a building, praying after you exit a building, praying before you eat and after you eat, praying, simple prayers. Lord, bless this food. Lord, help me as I come into this retreat day. Lord, bless my family as you're going home. Lord, help me to get safely to where I want. Lord, I thank you for this wonderful day today. Simple, small prayers that keep one very watchful. So watchfulness and prayer. And the last point is asceticism. Asceticism, I don't need to speak about it because who talked about it? Abuna. Asceticism, A-S-C-E-C-I-S-M, asceticism. Okay? So to live an ascetic life is growing in the virtue. Why do we discipline ourselves through fasting? Now, maybe now I can understand that I, 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 need, to, I need now to, I need to, I get it now. I get what fasting is about. Fasting is not this heavy thing that's gonna, just, just a heavy thing that's gonna pass by. And can I take an absolution for a week? Can I take, uh, we're going on vacation. Can I take an absolution for a week? We do that all the time. Well, why? Well, I don't get it. I don't understand what it means. It actually means to deprive myself. So when you go into those exotic resorts and you have this un unbelievable buffet and you are fasting, it means what? It means I'm growing in the virtue of self-control versus let it just be easy. I say these things not to admonish or put down those who ask for the absolution. I want us to have a new vision. That's what Christ, he wants us to see. He wants to end the blindness that has crippled into the life of the Christians. Like we can understand the blindness that cripples into the eyes of those who are not Christians. But if we have been enlightened, how then do we go back to the darkness of the mind again? That's why Abuna was saying, if someone says, you know, uh, you know can, can you give me an absolution to this? Just go ahead. But instead, I, I want that person to see, what, why am I fasting? Why the asceticism? Because in it, I offer a sacrifice on an altar of love. My ego, which is my desire, what's easier for me, what's, what's a lot easier for me. And you know what? The more we live a luxurious life, the more this decision becomes harder. So you know very well, most likely people who don't have the means to buy all the sort of food we buy do not usually struggle as much with this. Simpler life is a life of asceticism. So if you want to define what is a life of asceticism, it, it is a 
simpler life. Simpler. So, um, one of the one of the fathers says at the beginning of our spiritual journey, when we are spiritually immature, our entire religious attitude is ego-centered, emotional, and rational. The deeper level of awareness has not yet been fully opened. We are our egos defined by our passions. We are far from being authentic persons because we are caught up in our own, in our isolated individualism. What do I want? But as we grow and gain more control over our passions and our souls become purified, grace illuminates our mind, casts out the darkness of the news. We become more aware of God's presence and more aware of the other. We move away from self-centeredness the focus of our attention is on God. As this happens, our personal I expends and encompasses others so that we cannot conceive of ourselves in isolation from God or our brothers and sisters. We can no longer see ourselves without God and others. And with this, I close with the story of Pope Kirillus. How did this man, like this man is an example of someone who actually offered his ego on the altar. It's a beautiful story Abuna Rufail said about Pope Kiros. When he was the story repeated twice with the same deacon, once before when he was still Abu Namin al Mutawahid, and another time when he was Pope Kiros. Abu Namin al Mutawahid or uh, Father Mina uh, the Hermit or the the, uh, the solitaire, he used to pray a liturgy every day. So in order to pray a liturgy he needs a deacon. And there was an old deacon who would come and pray with him, and he was like a ma'allim or arif. Like he knew the, the, the hymns. And one time he told Pokeros, listen, can we make a deal? Pokeros said at the time he was Abu Namina, so I'll say Abu Namina al Mutawahid. He said to him, sure. He said, you don't cut me in my hymns and I don't cut you in your hymns. That means we don't overlap in the prayer. You say yours and you let me say mine. No overlap. So Abu Namina said, okay, I agree. So they started to pray, and one of those liturgies, in, probably in the mill, in the, in the windmill, Pope Kirolos began his part earlier, and he cut off this deacon. It was Pope Kirolos himself and a deacon inside the altar. So the man got upset, left the, left the liturgy, and went outside. Pope Kirolos waiting for someone to say, Lord, have mercy, outside. No one is saying anything. There's no one. So he, he asked the deacon, where is Amma Fulen? He says he left outside. Pope Kirillus leaves the sanctuary. He leaves it and goes outside to this man. He said, what's the matter? He said, didn't we make a deal? You don't cut me, I don't cut you. He said to him, okay, I'm so sorry. And he kissed his head and brought him back to pray. Then Pope Kirillus became Pope Kirillus. And the same deacon prayed with him a liturgy. And the Pope was, he had to be somewhere apparently, so he caught him. The deacon left and stepped outside. And I had to do it with Seriously, like I'm, I'm telling you, this is an example for, for me and for us. He left the sanctuary. In the middle of the liturgy, he went up to this man. He said, what's wrong? He said to him, I told you. We have an old deal. He said to him, I'm sorry. Kissed his head and brought him back in and continued the liturgy. And never again did he cut him. No, 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 he walked. <laughs> yeah, that would have been like cool. <laughs> that would have been amazing. In my mind, but see, that's the difference between his mind and sometimes our minds. This is a man who in the life of solitude and prayer and watchfulness was able to live a simple life. And in doing so, he began to be transformed. He no longer stayed the old person. He no longer saw problems the way he used to see problems. He no longer saw people the way... Uh, we see people, or, or, or I mean we in the past, but he began to be transformed and his, 
humility, this ego that he always sacrificed on the altar. And you all know that many people were against Pope Kirillus's uh, coming to the throne of St. Mark. And many were trying to actually get him off that throne. And people who are of weight in the church, like they, they're really important people. But there is, it's not a change that brought about humility, it's a transformation. So I pray for this. I pray to be transformed. But in order for that, it's never going to happen passively. My response is needed. And my response is a life of watchfulness, a life of prayer, a life of asceticism. It's all under a free choice of love and sacrificing on that altar of love my ego every day. This is transformation. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.